That was harder than anticipated. Um, in the New Testament, we have different genres written within the New Testament books of the Bible. There are letters like Paul and Peter and John write letters. There's um, apocalyptic literature like Revelation. And then there's gospels. There's four gospel accounts, which are narratives written by distinct men with distinct audiences and purposes, but all recounting the life of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, from different vantage points. The very first gospel is Matthew, and Matthew's audience is Jewish. Now, it's always important to know who is being written toward in order to know some of the stuff going on in the text. So Matthew quotes the Old Testament a lot because he's writing to Jews who know the Old Testament. And in chapter 1, he traces the lineage of King Jesus from Abraham and David and how Jesus fulfills and lays all that out for you clearly in Matthew chapter 1. But there's something interesting in Matthew chapter 1 and 2 that's very surprising if you think about Matthew being written to Jews. Matthew points out that Jesus is not just the Messiah of the Jews. Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the King of all nations. So just in that lineage in chapter 1, you have Rahab, the Canaanite. We're going to learn a lot about Rahab when we study Joshua in a few months. She's from Jericho. She was in the wall. She was a prostitute. Like Not exactly like the lineage you think is going to come in of the Savior. Rahab's in there. Then Ruth, the Moabite. Not exactly the loyal royal lineage, but Rahab is the mom of Boaz. I love thinking through this. Rahab is the mom of Boaz. Boaz is the guy who sees that Moabite Ruth in the field, and it's the great love story. Read the book of Ruth. Boaz and Ruth have Obed. Obed and his wife have Jesse, who's the father of David. Sacred Jewish lineage intermingling with non-Jewish blood. So we might say as you read Matthew, what's Matthew getting at? You then go to chapter 2 of Matthew, and we see these guys called wise men from the east, astronomers or scientists, searchers of the stars from the far east, possibly Arabia or even India. These guys are definitely not Jews, and yet they have a special place, a sacred place in the story of the Savior. The Jew king, Herod, searches to kill the Messiah king. Yet these non-Jews from the far east bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Matthew 2.11 even speaks of the wise men seeing the holy child and, quote, fell down and worshipped him, unquote. Matthew even shows faith of a Roman centurion, two demonically possessed guys in chapter 8 who are non-Jews. And then Matthew closes his text, his his part of the canon, his gospel account with these words from Jesus to his disciples. Eleven are standing there, and he says, Go therefore and make disciples of Jews? No. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Ta ethne, all nations. So what is Matthew getting at? Matthew is showing his Jewish audience that God is a God of the nations. And Jesus is the Messiah, not just of the Jewish people, but of all peoples of the earth. And today as we celebrate Advent, where we proclaim that we need God, 
we're going to look at a short psalm that speaks of big thoughts of God being the God of all peoples. Psalm 67. Psalm 67. Let's look at that. This is God's word. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, has, or shall bless us God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. The Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word. Commentator Christopher Ash says this about Psalm 67. The purpose of this psalm is that there will be praise of God's saving grace from men and women all over the earth. All over the earth. That's what it's getting at. So this, is, this is actually not the most difficult psalm to understand. There are parts of Scripture, you read them, and you're like, I, uh, I need some help here. What's going on? This one's like, yeah, I kind of get it. You do a read-by, you know, fly-by, and you're like, okay, kind of understand. But there's even more here than we might think. Here's what we want to understand, though. Jesus is not just a Jewish Messiah. He is the global Messiah. So this text starts with a prayer. Point number one, the prayer, God's grace for God's mission. Verse one begins with this prayer, quoting in, 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 or summarizing Numbers 6, where Moses taught the priest how to pray over the people of Israel. Here's what Numbers 6 says. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So these priests pray over the people of Israel with those uh, words from Numbers chapter 6. And it feels like the, the psalmist is pondering Numbers 6, adopting the prayer into his song where it says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Christopher Ash notes that this is not just a prayer for God to be generally nice or kind. This isn't about niceness of God or kindness of God. This is about God's people needing God. We need God. God's people need the blessings of God. We need the favor of God. The prayer asks for God's face to shine upon us. And we might initially read that and be like, that kind of feels distant, really don't understand what that means. But we actually understand this very well in daily life relationships. Just think about a time that you had a difficult relationship with someone, a parent, a sibling, a friend. And either your face or their face turns away from the other person. No eye contact. Why is that? Why is that? Why do we turn our face away in our anger or hurt or shame? It is because relationship is broken. There's something between you and that other person. Relationship is broken. The psalmist is saying, Lord, let us not have broken relationship." 
By your grace upon us, let your face shine toward us. In full relationship, let your face shine. And we get that too. Picture you go into a store or a restaurant, and there's a long-lost friend you hadn't seen in years. You see him across, and you make eye contact, and we would use this phrase, their face lit up. What does that mean? We know their face didn't like catch on fire, right? We know that there's joy, there's welcoming, there's full relationship. Again, that's what the psalmist is praying for, welcoming, full, unbroken, delighting in relationship with God of grace and blessing. It's the heart of the Father for His children. But friends, we have to ask, why? Why does the psalmist pray for that? Why does the psalmist ask for this blessing and favor from God? What is the motive? Look at the text, verse 2. That, or so that, your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Friends, get this. This is massively important for your life. One of the reasons Israel received grace was so that they would display grace. One of the reasons that you have received grace through Jesus Christ is that you would display grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He shifts it later. You are the light of the world. What is it? Yes. We are the light of the gospel of Jesus working in us, and we display it to others. Paul says we are ambassadors of Christ's kingdom. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's what James says. We display God's grace like a city on a hill in a dark land so that others may see the works and glorify God. It's about glory for God. That's the goal. Verses 6 and 7 hit on the same concept of verses 1 and 2. 7 speaks of the same blessing as verse 1. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. There's a certainty here. Let all the peoples know God, respect God, and worship God. And verse 6 then parallels with verse 2, where verse 2 wants God's saving power among the nations to be known. Verse 6 says, it's going to happen. There will be fruitfulness The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. So this passage is tying in God's saving power among the nations and the fruitfulness of God's work using this agricultural imagery. And when you think about agricultural imagery being used for the saving work of God, I hope ringing in our ears is a little bit of Jesus' words because he uses agricultural imagery to talk about his saving work all the time. One text in Matthew chapter 9, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, get this, agricultural imagery, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray for the God of grace. Pray for God's grace for God's mission. Disciples, you've received God's grace so that you might display it to others. Be 
labors in the harvest. Let God's grace flow to us so that His grace will flow through us. So it flows to us so that it would flow through us. Well, you might say, what does that functionally look like? I like kind of the the rhyme scheme, to and through. That sounds cutesy. But how do we actually function in life believing this? I think we would function, this would function, verse 1 and 2 would function in our lives just in the way we pray. Where we ask God's blessing. Everybody asks for God's blessing. When we were out prayer walking a few, few weeks ago, I go up to this one door. I think I had Delana, Raul, or Nathan. I don't remember who I had with me. Um, or Caleb. And we were walking this door, and these people, like, one lady asked for success. Another boy asked for money. Another boy asked for money. And I like, pray for that. I was like, that's okay. I'm going to pray for your idolatry. I didn't say that to them, but as we walked away, we were praying. No one doesn't ask for blessing. Right, But what's the purpose here in our prayers in verse 1? It's so that it's in order that others would know God. So what if we prayed for blessing for financial provision, like the people right down the road, so that I might be able to give more away for the cause of Christ, for his mission in the world, for church planting? Or as Randy Alcorn says in his excellent book, The Treasure Principle, which if you haven't read it, I would commend that to you. He says this, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. So friends, we, we have just in that little functional section of how we apply verse 1 and 2, gold, of how we live and function. Lord, any blessing I receive, let me be giving it away. Let me serve you with gladness. So it might be supporting. Let me just give you a few categories. Supporting, there's a pastor's college in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia right now. Addis Ababa, Ethiopia is bigger than Chicago and New York combined, population-wise. How many gospel-centered churches are in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, that the missionaries and others there can count? One. And that one church is training up 10 to 12 guys right now to do more church plants in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. I'll be on a phone call this week where our region in Sovereign Grace is saying, we want to give $12,000 to help support that. That's money we give to our region that goes. But if you want to give and that stirs your heart and you want to give and support the training of of Addis Ababa, Ethiopia church plants, by God's grace, do it. Like, let's, we're, we're the wealthiest society in the history of the world. Let's give it away for God. Or it might be, like many of you have already done, giving relief to, and, and church planting to war-torn Ukraine. It might be like Samuel was saying earlier, pastoral training for Nick and Jenna Richardson going to Pastors College, that we might send out church plants well and also have leaders raised up here and that we might plant more. Nick and I have talked. Are you going to plant one day? Maybe. Maybe five years, ten years. We don't know. We just want to train up and send out. Train up and send out. Train up and send out. Friends, it's about his kingdom mission. It may be helping financially with adoptions, that there are people bring the nations into their home, and you want to help those people. We have other people right now praying about where they would go, and they need money. 
for those kids to come into their home. But it's not just our money. The idea of praying for God's favor, for His mission, it changes the way we view our time. It changes just the ordinary days of our life. How how do we spend our week? If we have two or three nights in a row, it's not that are free. It's not for more Netflix or Instagram. Like that's not why Jesus gave you that extra time. Is it wrong to watch Netflix? Depends on the show probably. But we want to use our time to honor the king. But we have neighbors around us who don't know Jesus. They would love to come in your home. They would love to have a meal. You have coworkers that want relationship with you who look at your life and they're just puzzled. Like, how do you love your spouse? How do you love your kids? How do you work for the glory of God when days seem really hard or your boss is being a jerk or you are the boss and you're not a jerk? Our motive in life is for others to know the grace that we have known. That's what this text is getting at. So we've seen the prayer in verse 1 and 2. Now look at the call. uh, Point number two is the comprehensive call, all nations. Look at verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Look at verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. It's the same thing. It's the same refrain. They speak of God's comprehensive, multi-ethnic, multicultural, multinational call for people and peoples to praise Yahweh. And note, the psalmist is not satisfied with Ethiopians praising God, but not Chinese. He's not satisfied with Canadians praising God, but not Taiwanese. He's not satisfied with Brazilians praising God, but not the Nepalese. Like all peoples, all nations praising God. He is not satisfied with Jews praising God, but not Gentiles. All peoples, all nations. We hear the echo of God's covenant with Abraham. Through you, all families of the earth will be blessed. Or Jesus' words that we already read, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, commentator Derek Kidner calls the prayer in Psalm 67 a great vision. But get this. But he also says it is greatly daring. It is greatly daring. John Calvin says this of Psalm 67, that it's not a prayer or song of safety, but it is, quote, risky. Why? Why would you read verse 3 and 5 and say, whoa, daring, not safe, risky? I think Romans 10 tells us. Romans 10, 14 and 15 says, But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching or proclaiming? How are they to preach unless they are, get this, sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Do you hear the logic of Paul in Romans chapter 10? Do you see how this prayer, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you, is daring and risky because someone has to go. 
If there are people that don't know Jesus as their Savior, somebody's got to tell them. And that might be in your neighborhood, in your office, but we know it's all nations. Someone has to go. And friends, when we, when we were praying for David and Mandy England, and they were praying not just them going, but us sending, I remember the tear many of us felt. I remember weighing that with them as we are praying and talking and assessing, like, is this a good idea or not? What's God calling? And working through that. Uprooting their family. Going at the time to one of the largest unreached people groups in the world. And it felt risky. Uncertainty. But they felt called to go, and we felt called to sin, and they felt compelled to go. We felt compelled to send them, send them and, and they went, and we lower the rope, and we hold the rope. We hold the rope through prayers, through financial support, through pastoral care. Friends, God's people are willing to risk when they understand the worth of God. You're willing to risk when you understand the worth. And that's what verses 3 and 5 get to. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. How's that going to happen? Daring, risky, not safe. Friends, are you willing to risk? Will you do costly things to sacrifice time and comfort and financial cushion and energy for the sake of Christ? If not, do you really understand the worth of Christ? We've got to wrestle with that. Do you understand his glory? Do you really want peoples to praise God from all nations, tribes, tongues, peoples, languages? Commentator James Hamilton speaks of Psalm 67, and here's the word he uses, fervor. Now, some of you guys like the World Cup right now. One of the things I love about Olympics and World Cup, even though, even though as to quote Samuel, the U.S. was trash yesterday, which was very disappointing, um, was that, that you're, you're seeing people of, uh, from other nations. You're just seeing interactions. And one of the things, uh, the first U.S. game, U.S. played against Wales. That was the first game, right? And one of the things that I was surprised at, and probably my favorite part of the game had nothing to do with the game. At the beginning, before the game started, they did the national anthem. And I was just like, okay, they're doing the national anthem. Let's move on. Let's get the game going. So the U.S. has their national anthem, and they, you know, they pan on the players. They pan on the fans. And people are singing. Some are singing. Some are not singing. Some are singing a little more. Some are not singing. And then was the Welsh national anthem. Oh, man. It's like these people planned to get into their national anthem in a way that I've never seen an American ever get into their national anthem. They were singing with fervor. They were singing so loud, like the players are screaming their national anthem. It is crazy. And then they pan to the fans. I'll never forget this one lady. She, her, her neck was bulging. She had tears streaming down her face as she's singing the national anthem for Wales. Oh, would the Welsh and the nation sing for the Lord? 
let the people's praise, not their nation, let the people's praise Jesus with fervor and singing and passion and zeal that their necks would bulge and tears would come down their face. Oh, friends, it is worth it. Do you have that fervor? Did you used to have that fervor? Did you have that fervor when you first got saved, but you lost it somewhere back there? Or when you were back in college and you were around other young new believers who had a fervor? Were you once willing to adopt Paul's words in Philippians 3? I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish, trash, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Friends, let us have a fervor to go all out for Christ that the nations would be glad. And friends, the psalmist then gives us an invitation and the nation's invitation. Point number three, the invitation. Be glad and sing for joy. A few weeks ago, Christopher preached from Psalm 37 and he told us about this poetic, artistic way of writing. Many of the psalms have this. It's called a chiastic structure. It's where lines parallel, like an early line and a late line parallel together. And what the middle portion of the chiastic structure shows is the main point. So if you'll put that up there. So what you see in this text is a chiasm that shows us through the chiasm the main point. So you have verse 1 and verse 7 is blessing. Verse 2 and verse 6 is salvation and fruit bearing. You see a parallel there if you read it. Verse 3 and 5 are the same. So what's the main point? It's verse 4. The main point of this text that the author wants to get get in our heads is verse 4. Well, what does verse 4 say? What is the main point of this text? Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. The psalmist wants the nations, the peoples, to be glad in God and enjoy God. And friends, isn't that the point of life anyway? Sometimes we lose sight of that, but the main purpose of our life is to glorify God and what? Enjoy Him forever. The psalmist got it. He enjoyed God. He prayed for grace that He might show grace. He had joy in God and He wanted the nations to have joy in God. That's the purpose of missions. John Piper says that missions exists because worship of God doesn't. Missions exist because there are people in the world living lives of brokenness and sin and pain and suffering, and they do not know the one source of joy, which is Jesus Christ. Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. Friends, joy and gladness in God are not optional for the believer. Do you believe that? Joy and gladness in God are not optional for the believer. Recently was reading uh, an illustration by Eugene Peterson. He was talking about a seminary professor, or I mean a seminary president, friend of his, 
And that seminary president would call students into his office and say things like, hey, I, I read your test scores. You're doing really well on your test. Good job. I read your papers. Wow, your theological knowledge is great. Uh, I don't think you're qualified to be a pastor. And the student would be like, why? He said, you're not joyful. You're not called to be a pastor because you're not joyful and would walk them out of seminary, which, oh, if more seminaries would do that, that would be really good for the church. Friends, I think we could equally say and equally question, I'm not sure you're a Christian if you don't have joy. And we, we may say, whoa, 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 Mike, my personality, I'm kind of that Eeyore guy. You go to Ecclesiastes, you want to talk about Eeyore? One of the main points of Ecclesiastes is joy. You see it all over the text. It shows the, the difficulties of life. I mean, it is black and white difficulties of life. But within it, within that text, it talks so much about joy in God. Not joy in your circumstances. Circumstances are going to stink, the author says. It's a breath. It's, it's mere breath, this life you can have joy in the toil. Friends, joy is not a personality trait. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit in you and you don't have joy, we've got some stuff to talk about. We've got some probably sin to confess, unbelief, things that God wants to work because he wants to give you joy. Even in the midst of hard circumstances, Stephanie read the Habakkuk passage earlier. Though we have nothing, there's no fruit, there's nothing in the stalls. It's like the bank accounts are empty. I will rejoice in the Lord. John Piper says this, you cannot commend what you don't cherish. Missionaries will never call out. Let the nations be glad who cannot say from the heart, I rejoice in the Lord. I'll be glad and exalt in you. Friends, let us be the most joyful people because we are united to the infinitely joyful one, Jesus Christ. A follower of Christ has his or her sins fully paid for. There's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. The Christian's circumstances produce perseverance that we might know the power of the resurrection and know Christ in his suffering and we know that life is temporary, a vapor. So eternity awaits, an eternity of joy. And we are staggering optimists and realists at the same time. Because we have the glory of God to focus on. We have the Savior who set his face toward the joy of the cross and rose from the dead and brings us into the kingdom. So it's not a petty joy. It's not false happiness. It's deeply rooted in Christ, even in our lowest moments. Friends, do you rejoice in God? Do you have joy in God, even in the midst of struggle? As Christopher said last week, does, does the mirror of your life reflect the Lord? Do others see the Lord in you because you're reflecting the Lord? In his joy. 
Now notice in verse 4 the aspect or attribute that the psalmist highlights of God. It's very different than I would initially think reading verse 4. He speaks of joy in God, but what does he highlight where that joy is rooted? Is it in God's grace or God's slowness to anger or God's mercy? That might be what we think he's going to say there. That's not what he says. It is in God's judgment and guidance. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. This emphasis on God's judgment and guidance might puzzle us at first, especially puzzling us because it's linked to joy in God. Like, yay, judgment! Like, that's not usually our default. But friends, we want in our heart of hearts a God of judgment and equity. We want evil punished. We want rightness, righteousness displayed on the earth. We want to live in systems of fairness and equity and no partiality and no unjust punishments. And we also want guidance. The psalmist is glad in God for God's guidance of the nations. The word guidance speaks of God's sovereignty, his wisdom, his providential rule over the earth. In the original language, there's even an aspect, and I love this, there's an aspect to the word of shepherding care. He he wants the nations to rejoice in God and, and the shepherding care, the guidance of God. So what is this gladness? It is a rooted gladness in God's shepherding care, his control, his equity of judgment over all the earth. God is working and he is willing. He is in control in his shepherding care. And friends, we want to ask this question, does that make our heart glad? Does his sovereignty and care, his equity and judgment, does that make our heart glad in him? Are we thankful for his shepherding control over all things? And then we got to ask this next question. Will you give your life for it? Will you give your life for the nations to be glad the way you're currently glad in God? Or maybe beyond how you're currently glad in God. Christopher, if you'll come on up. When Matthew spoke about Gentiles being in the line of Jesus, he was making a clear statement that the Jewish Messiah was not just a Jewish Messiah. He's the global Messiah. Friends, Matthew, get this, Matthew was writing from the Middle East. The author of Psalm 67 was writing from the Middle East, they would have their minds blown by people on the other side of the world in a land that they've never heard of, studying the word, reading the word, praying about this, and praising Yahweh. When they penned their words, when the psalmist penned this text, let the peoples praise you, guess who the peoples are? We are. We're the peoples. These are Jewish guys halfway around the globe. They had a vision for others to know God. And guess what? There's a room of people who know God and are glad in God 
and enjoy God. And let us then, because we've received grace now, give it to others. Friends, we are Gentiles, most of us. The text of Scripture in Ephesians said we were without God and without hope in the world, yet we've been grafted into the family through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so this psalm propels us, one, to praise God. Oh, let us praise God. We're going to sing in a second. Let's be a people who praise the might and goodness and glory and judgment and sovereignty of God. And if you don't know that, God, we'd love to talk to you about relationship with Jesus. So let us praise God. Secondly, let us give our lives for this. Friends, we have a breath. Maybe 80-ish years, maybe less, maybe more. What are we spending our life doing? Are we enjoying God and then helping others to know God's saving power on earth? Let's stand together and praise the one who is worthy of all praise.